You know, we want to welcome everybody here. You know, obviously, obviously, obviously. That's right. I got Dave here. Uh, I, I think that... You know, we want to welcome everybody here. Speaking of that, speaking of that... Celinda. You know, we want to welcome everybody here. Everything all at once? Everything all at once. It's honestly a sensation. Aliens listen to it. Normally strain them, or is this... We just started doing We just started streaming. Episodes. Yeah, nobody's really been watching very much on the live streams, but people have been watching the YouTubes a lot. So hopefully people will start to check out the live streams more as mm -hmm. we keep doing them. And uh, I don't know, as we change times, maybe there'll be certain people that want to check stuff out at different times. And uh, we'll just see what's going on, you know? Cool. Yes, so... Welcome to the show, Nina Cruz, Carolina Cruz, author of The Unwanted Prophet. That's me. Yeah. Nina, Nina uh, is a nickname I gave myself when I was really tiny because I didn't know how to say my own name, but it's actually Carolina. Carolina, mm -hmm. not Carolina. No, yeah, but don't worry. Everyone does that. It's totally... <laughs> it's spelled like Carolina, you would it think. It is. Yeah, no, it's Spanish. My dad's Puerto Rican. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. But Carolina, I dig yeah. it. Nina, for Thanks. short. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. We're so Thank excited you. to have you. Me and Dave uh, read your book, and we yeah. <laughs> are super excited to talk about it okay. and uh, get into it. Cool. Set a new record for I was telling Tony when I read it. It took me like four and a half days to read the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a pretty avid reader, and he was like, oh, you know, get the book. I was like, don't worry. there will, I will have plenty of time to read this. And then like four days later, I was like, this shit, I like this shit. This was an awesome book. I'm done with it. He was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I took my time a little bit more on it. I uh, It took me a couple weeks to finish. And... Uh, but I did enjoy it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I'm glad. It was very enjoyable. Dave blew through it. It's like a, a pretty big book, too. 450 pages. It's 150,000 words, around about. 150,000 um, words. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, around 532 pages, including, like, maps and table of contents and stuff. But I've been told it's an easy read. And yeah. I, I keep hearing that, which is good, because when I had initially, they, they give you little guidelines. I'm entirely, like, self-published and everything, so I had to do all the research myself. And one thing that I saw pretty often was that, uh, oh, you know, a fantasy novel is somewhere from 70,000 to 100,000 words. And I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, totally. Let me check my word count when I finished my first draft, and it was like 140,000. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a lot. So I thought I maybe should tone it down. But cut it up a little bit. Cut it up a little bit, but I couldn't figure out any, anything to cut out, any way to, because it's broken up into three parts. Each of those three parts are around 50,000 words. So I thought, well, maybe I could chop each part up into its own individual part, but that just didn't feel right. So Yeah, I didn't feel like it was an overly wordy book, too, because sometimes no. I, I'm reading a book and I'm getting to like certain points where I'm just like, you know, do I really need like three pages of <laughs> this, of like not, not nothing, but like really flowery wording and all yeah. this stuff to kind of show how skilled of a writer you are. I much prefer more concise stuff, and I didn't really feel like this was overly wordy. Yeah, it was definitely a concise, like, heavy book, but not dense. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, it was very, very, like, 
a lot of times with these with these bigger longer books like tony was saying you know you end up with like a three-page sentence that has like 47 metaphors in it and oh it doesn't God. like move the plot line i i'm interested in that kind of stuff too but like yeah. it's just so much more difficult to read yeah i like reading that stuff um just fine but uh only when skilled authors do it and personally like as much as i feel very proud of this book um whenever i try to write what's that like what's called purple prose i hate feel like I'm just coming off really pretentious and I'm trying too hard and I'm like I would rather just say this person went to that place than get too crazy about it but yeah yeah I'm I'm like a very to the point kind of person and I don't really like extra steps but I do also appreciate it when it's done well you know what I yeah, mean yeah 100% um but this was really good and uh it starts off very interestingly you know your person is in a tough situation and they become profit really early, unwanted profit, mm. um, and yeah, and literally an unwanted profit like, mm -hmm. very quickly in the book. Yeah, I've heard other people say that. Like, that's one that's like I think a personal preference thing because some people have been like, "Wow, there's like three whole chapters before the like inciting incident or whatever happens," and I'm like, "That is, yeah, that's true. Um, we spend a lot of time in the like early." stages but I think it's all important so a lot of other people have been like oh you dropped us right into the action and I'm like good that's what I was going for I liked how I mean it was it was definitely uh you know caught me off guard you know with the with the title of the book and you know um I figured it would be just a little bit further down the line but I like how it was done because it was um like the action happened, and then it was the journey, let's mm -hmm. say, instead of, like, a very long journey to get to that point. And then the, then the action, you know, the, uh... The I appreciate that it was, like, a surprise, too, like, right away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, not only was the main character surprised by this whole situation, but, uh... The, I feel like the reader was also surprised by that, like, yeah. early on. Yeah. And uh, I like the way that she becomes a prophet, too. You know, just kind of like, oh, well, oh, I'm God. Go. Poof. Now you're... <laughs> now you're uh... That's how he does things. That's I love this the character of uh, Gethin, the god in this world. Because right. he's just a mess. Yeah. Um, and I really... I, I tried to keep both the reader and Quincy in the dark about as much as each other, because she doesn't know what's going on. She's clueless 90% of the time. And then Gethin, as much as he pretends that he knows what he's doing, he doesn't. So it ended up it ended up being a really funny scenario to me almost that like, oh yeah, you know, God meets you and he's like, Sup. Yeah, here you go. Here's a bunch of powers. Here's a bunch of powers. I don't know what they do either. Have and, fun. Yeah, lead my, lead my church, please. Yeah, please. I'm begging you. And the church is like, no. Yeah, they completely do not want this prophet at all and they're really unpleased with his choice like immediately yeah like right away it's like oh you're supposed to be the leader of our church but we're going to disrespect you and not give you any sort of say in anything and that's also one of the things i liked about the book is that like she starts off with this immediate um like she kind of fulfill, she's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy at first, you know. Mm -hmm. They expect her to be like a hood rat and a failure and a piece of shit, and uh, she kind of is not given any opportunities to really shine until later on in the book when you're like, oh, okay, maybe this person might actually have some value to <laughs> our church, you know. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, um, it's she, an... Oh, go ahead. I, I was just saying, you know, she's not... She's, like, locked away. She's. They're, like, very afraid of this new change, too. They're, they're afraid of not just the new change, but I think one of the things that I tried to drive home is that they're afraid of how it will make them look because yeah. their appearances are so important to them. And to be like, yeah, we, to tell the public, yeah, we have a prophet, is this person that got arrested. Um, and murdered somebody, wanted somebody in our church. Yeah, that would be like that. The fact that, they, that they're, they're lucky that it wasn't the original plan of having Wes profit because that would have sucked for everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, I always felt like, I don't know if this was uh, an intention of yours, but it was only, it almost felt like kind of in jest like with, with Gethin about not knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, he's like a god, so you assume a god is uh, omnipotent, uh, omnipotent, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, oh no, I'm not, I really don't know what's going on, and then like the way things unfold is... It's a very, it's very convenient. Yeah. How for him not knowing how everything's gonna unfold, that they just unfold in the the ways that are, are most uh, conducive to what he wants to have done. I feel like he has a lot more of an idea that he lets on too. Yeah. Part of his way of handling things is he feels like if humans, if he told humans what he knows, then they would they would mess it up, like, counterintuitively. Mm-hmm. Like, if you tell someone what to do, then they worry about doing that too much, and then that doesn't happen. Exactly. So he's like, I'm not going to tell you. You're, <laughs> you got to figure this one out on your own. He, um, yeah. Yeah, he does offer a little bit of guidance, but for the most part, he's, he kind of lets everybody figure out what's supposed to happen in it. And I like that it's, like, in a divine way, too, almost. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, he can take credit for these things coming about and changing without really, like putting much guidance into it, you know what I mean? He just allows things to happen naturally as the way they're, as the way they are intended by God, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%, for sure. Um, I feel like these the people in the church, too, really are, like, super, super pretentious. Like, I, I feel like I've met, like, some spiritual leaders or gurus or whatever who think they have, like, everything figured out and they know everything and they are like the you know holier than thou and all this stuff and the church really seems to embody that like idea to me yeah yeah well i grew up uh in a like uh what's the word i'm looking for evangelical like baptist Mm -hmm. uh scenario and um a lot of quincy's story and a lot of the way that she is treated and interacted with is kind of how i was interacted with growing up where i was not their idea of what a proper church-going girl should be. Right. Um, so I got a lot of, and a lot of people were pretentious in very different ways, which I tried to reflect in the different priests that get a lot of speaking lines. Um, it's just that everyone has their own reasons and their own projections that they're putting onto this idea of spirituality that is giving them this idea that they understand things more than the people who don't look like they understand things, if that makes sense. I would have, I would have bet money. I know we're at the poker table here. Right. <laughs> I yeah. would have. So I, I grew up Catholic. I would have bet any money. I was gonna ask if, if you grew up Catholic because like the the papal state vibes of this all the way up to like you know the the head of the, the head of the church the ex arch and it's just like has that very like Catholicism feel about it for like the structure and the group think and the uh, 
the, the laws and the, control. Yeah, the reticence to give up power, you know, or to, you know, a lot of what's going on in the world today where there's been, like, like the, the current pope that we have is making, or we, uh, I'm, <laughs> the current pope that's out there, you know, making tweaks to things mm-hmm. that for generations and centuries were, like, viewed as absolutely not. It's in our Bible. Um, and it just, it just felt like, like very Catholic vibes, the structure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I went to a Bible college and while one of the things that I studied was church history, which focused a lot on Catholicism, um, and, uh, like the crusades and like the way that the Catholic church over time kind of was corrupted by greed and money. And, um, what's the, um, when you had to pay money to go to get out of like, purgatory. Uh, tithings. Yeah, yeah. It's, tithes, it's yeah. got, yeah. So that's like the kind of like, that's kind of the inspiration for how this church over time became corrupt, um, as well. Um, though some of it takes from, uh, like Judaism as well, and obviously evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different um, influences, but most of them are from like that kind of um, area because that's what I grew up in and am familiar with more than anything else. And, and what are your what's your spirituality like today? Um, this book is a big part of how I got where I am because I started writing it while I was still in, in college. And it started kind of helping me deconstruct. And I think you can get a really good idea of where I'm at by looking at where Quincy and Gethin's relationship Mm -hmm. ends up with, which is the church sucks. Um, The way they treated me sucks. But I I don't think that that's because God told them to do that to me. I don't think that God looked them in the eye and said, uh, be a a jerk. Um, I think that was 100% their own human actions. And while I'm not sure if I fully believe in a God anymore, if there is one... I don't think the church is acting the way he wants them to. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I, I found it kind of uh, refreshing, you know, a change of pace that um, this girl, that Quincy, the main character, um, it was like coming from no belief to full belief. A lot. I feel like a lot of the more progressive books you see, it's like the undoing of like... Uh, I guess spirituality, like, like the religion, because you know, like a lot of people are spiritual now, but but uh, it's found in like uh, Eastern, you know, or like Native. Um, it's not from, it's not drawn from the uh, like the main like patriarchal yeah. structure. And right. I, I thought it was super. It tends int- to be like a full rejection of like Christianity and everything that built up Christianity and the Christian God and all of that mythos and like stuff behind it it tends to be a full rejection of that and swinging really hard into yeah like um indigenous practices norse paganism a lot of the people that i was friends with who deconstructed and wanted to stay spiritual went to completely different practices and i totally respect that like i get why you'd want to go away from that but that's not been my journey as much right and i think that a lot of the the this the the core nature is good, you know. This basic spiritual principles behind Christianity or any real religion are all generally the same. And practicing those spiritual principles kind of leads people to a connection to a god of their own understanding. Yeah, in a lot of ways. It's like the idea of like in Christianity a personal relationship with God where your experiences kind of define what that means to you. Um 
so yeah, I feel like I feel like that's another thing that like the church has kind of ruined is this like this individuality and this kind of like um, fluidity in how you define your relationship with God because they're more rigid and about following specific rules and whether or not you're allowed to do specific things or talk a specific way or look a specific way. Uh, they don't even know what those rules are half the time. And I think it's difficult, like extremely insanely difficult to uh, change the status quo. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, throughout this book, it's kind of the same thing because you touch on the fact that, you know, the people that are just getting started in their, in their priesthood, let's say the younger ones. And, and the people in training. The, you know, the people in training and then maybe, no, no spoilers, you know, but like maybe, <laughs> maybe people that are further along in that journey. But you very much touch on the point that, you know, the, the younger ones, the ones in training are like, those are the ones that are good, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they're in this for the, for the right reason. And I feel like a lot of the times the people that get involved with religion on that level are super spiritual and then like the the can like the group think the structure just kind of like crushes them into mm-hmm. this thing that nobody likes right and i like the the one character who is not really attached to the church but seems to be like one of the most spiritually knowledgeable and kind and good-hearted people the person that i really see personify like the beliefs of spirituality you know like loving your neighbor and being kind to each other and looking out for the the people who are downtrodden or less fortunate and uh quincy develops like a a really strong attachment with this person and i feel like that was a big influence in her and how she treats people and her understanding that like hey not everybody is out to get you because of this or uh you know, working against you because you're the prophet now. There are still people who want to support you and want to see what you're capable and able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, huge building point for me. I was really disappointed um, with that character <laughs> later on in the book. Um, I love that character. I know who you're talking um, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and she goes out on this mission, and it's like a combat mission against another religion you know and uh, i feel like that also like personifies a lot of like old christian beliefs you know like the if you're if you're not with us then you're against us you know that kind of idea Mm -hmm. that um if you're not on our team then you're on the wrong team like a like a spanish inquisition exactly exactly you know come to america and make everyone christian or else type thing Mm -hmm. exactly yeah it's, if you're not doing it the exact same way we're doing it. Not to say that, like, the group that they are going to is doing things in a good way, because they're definitely not. But I kind of like them. Yeah, no, well, what I liked is that I gave Quincy a moment, which I think is totally reasonable for her, where, given the way that she's treated by this other group, she takes pause, and she's like, wait a minute. <laughs> she's like, wait a minute, are these really the bad guys? Do I really need to like be against them? And she get, she comes to the conclusion of yes because of several different things. But like, it would make sense to have that moment since she arrives to this other group and they immediately see her for like who she is. It's it's very fun to like to do that because I I feel like that's a reasonable reaction from her <laughs> especially when they're supposed to be the bad guys mm-hmm. yeah. and i i personally i kind of found them endearing in that they are trying to end suffering for people that are that are struggling and saying that death would be better than you got than people going through these harsh um realities of the world which i find a lot of empathy with you know what i mean i understand that like 
certain people maybe not the people that they're taking care of or helping uh, right. get out of these situations but there are certain people that probably would be okay or appreciate the end to their suffering they're very sincere in their beliefs like they they 100 percent believe that what they're doing is right and yeah. i think i think that the uh i love the dualities that, that pop up in this book uh uh, you know, I always wonder because I write myself like how much of it is like intentional or just kind of happens as <laughs> Ooh, you're going yeah. along. And uh, the thing that I found fascinating about this part of the book was like the the opposing group is just like they're young, they're vigorous, and it's like okay, they're young, they're vigorous, countercultural. Like this is supposed to be like the 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 way that that the power structure is supposed to be usurped. You know. Mm-hmm. And then she makes a decision that that doesn't go in line with that. And it made me think in my head, like, okay, what well, was, like, the 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 jaded, not the jadedness, like, the uh, just being young and having different ideas isn't necessarily, doesn't make necessarily make that the, uh, the correct way to change things. Yeah, Quincy's kind of point of view, um, I can speak mostly from her perspective on this um, because she's who's like mind I was in at the time. Quincy's perspective is that the problems that are happening within this main church are longstanding and predictable and she has ideas as to like she's very familiar with them and knows what those problems are. The problems with the other group are new and they're more present and more unpredictable and more violent. Everything they do is a little bit, like their theology is unfamiliar and less well thought out. It's very new theology. Their actions are very extreme. It's like, if this is the way to change things, um, is that going to, like, is that not going to just bring up a whole new set of problems? Like a whole new set of problems that might be way worse than using the position that she's in with the more familiar structure so right and i i feel that way a lot about certain things like in our current um you know government and current churches and all of these uh structures of power like is it better to completely uproot the old plant or can we save it and adapt it and change it into something that's more um consumable to us sustainable sustainable mm -hmm. consumable whatever uh you know the choice may be like sometimes i feel like we need to start scr from scratch i felt like uh i got major and i've been i'm fascinated by the 60s and like you know i've been doing a lot of reading in that era lately and i just got major like abby hoffman vibes off of uh off of uh the um leader of of the cult group and mm -hmm. it just made me think of like what you were saying you know like almost like the uh uh, you know, the anti-Vietnam groups mm -hmm. and, the, and the counterculture in the 60s, you know, when when peace didn't work, then it was time to be violent. But how much does violence really get you? But, you know, restarting the same cycle with different people mm -hmm. in charge. Right. And exactly. There's always the old, like, trope of, like, in order to kill the monster, I have to become the monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was, like, something that um, while... Like, it did occur to me, and I even, I have very, a lot of, um, like, alternate storylines in my head, mm -hmm. points that in the book she could have made a different decision that would have changed the entire rest of the book. So there are a couple points. First, early on, if 
things hadn't happened in the prison the way they did and plans had gone on and Wes had been profit, I have like a whole like, well, what would have happened then? And then I also have what if she had had done the other like option when presented with this like cult? What if she had like gone along with them? What would have happened then? Mm-hmm. And I don't know because the thing, the other big thing about Quincy, um, as much as I love her, is she is not super theologically smart. Um, she is presented, uh, one of the other characters calls her out on this. She is presented with a lot of information that is theologically complicated, um, and has a lot of philosophy and spirituality going on in it. And her usual solution at the moment, cause she's very, she's kind of simple minded is what is going to keep people from dying right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then another character learns about the same theology and asks her opinion on it. And she's like, oh, I didn't really think about that. And he's like, yeah, it's because you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, if she were to have done what she what she was asked to do with the cult um, and taken that position, I don't know if she wouldn't have just become a pawn again. Because the other members of that group are much more theologically smart than her. And she probably would have ended up being used as a weapon again. Um, she had more genuine allies by the end of the book on the yeah. other side of things. Right. And uh, I think that if she was to take that position, I, I, I really like that you're like not only world building in this whole situation, and it's a pretty big world. They travel to a few different places and spend a good time traveling. You're like also multiverse building, mm-hmm. and like separate timeline building yeah, in have this a lot whole of- process. I have a lot of ideas for that. Obviously, none of them are going to get put down on paper, but um, there's a lot of things I like I like to think about because I think it helps me build an idea of who the character is, uh, especially in Quincy's case. So. And, and you always got to have options, too. Like I feel like if I just picked one plan right from the beginning, and whenever I have picked one plan right from the beginning and tried to go from that on that plan, I never like set out or had like any options when things would change you know what I mean I always had to divert or go Mm -hmm. a different direction and move around and kind of shape the experiences in my life to the obstacles that were coming towards me so Mm -hmm. it's good I feel like it's a good probably a good thing that you're like exploring other options yeah while you're writing do you when you're writing um like the process just fascinates me. I love hearing how 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 different people do it. Is it more like a like a stream of consciousness type thing? Do you like in your head you're like, okay, this is the route I'm gonna go, or are you like, okay, well if Wes is gonna be the prophet, then you start writing it out and you get to a point and you're like, oh, okay, well this is like, this this doesn't just vibe as well with me, so I'm gonna go back in the other mm-hmm. direction. Do you just stick with one and write it out, or you kind of write different ways and then choose? Yeah. So. Especially with this initial one, because I am now, uh, I finished a second one, and I'm working on a third. Um, The second one will be out next year sometime. I'm getting it edited and stuff. But um, So now I know I can finish more than one. That's nice. But with the first one, um, ah, this actually brings me to the origin of this book, because it's relevant. But when I was, when I, it was uh, National Write a Novel Month 2017, Mm -hmm. and I was working on a different project that I had plotted meticulously. Uh, beginning to end and I had all the scenes laid out and everything and um, except for like one or two parts 
and I got really bored because I knew everything that was going to happen and I just didn't feel like writing it. So I decided to start with like a character in a prison and just go from there. I had a bunch of the world building stuff that ends up in this book in a bunch of other different projects that I was like, oh, this would be a, specifically the church was from a completely different project. And I was like, oh, this would be a good place to put the church again. And oh, this would be a good place to put this country that I've been working on and stuff. Um, so it started out with just Quincy in the prison, and then it was almost like um, how Minecraft generates, like the like everything kind of spreads out mm -hmm. from there. It was like, well, there's a character in a prison cell. That, where are the other prison cells? Who's in them? Where is this prison? What world is it in? What are the governing? And then it kind of spread out a little bit from there. And similarly, the plot did the same thing, where I was like, I wrote the plot out a little bit. I got to the, I caught up with where I had written to, and then I was like, well, from this point on, what can happen next? And I've learned that that's pretty consistently how I do things, is I will plot out a few scenes in advance, um, and then I will write up until like maybe a couple scenes before where I'm done. And then by that point, um, because I'm very stream of consciousness, like you were saying, by that point I'll have introduced details in the scenes that I was writing that um, give me new ideas for what can happen later on. So. Um, I have had a couple times that where I've gone down a scene path and I was like, this is just not working mm -hmm. for me for whatever reason. And I've pulled it back to a major decision point and been like, we're going to do something else. So when, when you get, when you're about to start writing, do you have like any sort of process that leads you up into it or is it just something you kind of hop into? Uh, I have a lot of playlists. I have so many playlists. Um, I have a playlist for each major book. I have a couple that are like, um, I have a character in my next book that is a musician. And so I have like a playlist that's like, oh, this is songs that they would like if they heard them. Um, and then once I have playlists, um, I'll go on Pinterest and I'll look at like different pictures for inspiration. Um, but usually the playlists are the most important thing. I feel like they really help set the tone for both like before I start a full story and also like before I sit down to like physically start writing. How much does it bleed into um, other things you're doing in life? Like if you're at if you're at your job or you know at a social interaction, um, is it like the hours that you set yourself for writing you just kind of you know mainly dedicated to there, or is it like you know you get a thought? while you're at work and it's just like you because this will happen to me you just like block everyone out like you're just like I have to keep this in my head until I can write it down I have to I will like immediately like the, the first thing is um, I'm blessed to have co-workers um, one of my co-workers has read my book the others have heard me talk about it a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> so sometimes I'll like bounce ideas off of them which is really nice they'll be like oh my god I have this idea for this thing but I don't know how to do it and they will be like well what if you did this and I'm like that's a terrible idea but what if I did this instead <laughs> yeah um but yeah, and then I'll, I have a Google Docs. My plotting document is a mess. Mm -hmm. I have just Google Docs, and half of it is like really structured outline, and then at the bottom is just this like vomit of mm -hmm. like different ideas. I get different places and throwing them in just so that I don't forget them because I know I will. Mm -hmm. um, my absolute favorite thing, though is when I think I've come up with an entirely original idea, I put it at the bottom of the word vomit pile, and then when I'm about to write, I go through the whole thing, and it's like already in there yeah. once before. <laughs> I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know. That's why I have to read it at the, every time I start writing. I do that a lot when I'm buying clothes. 
Like, yeah. I'll end up buying, like, the same thing over and over again. I'm like, oh, I, this looks really nice. I, I like that. <laughs> and then I, like, get home and look in my closet, and I already have, like, the same exact thing, like, sitting in there somewhere. Literally. It's exactly like that, yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I just got an image for you of, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit from, from, like, the Osbournes, you know, when they were mm -hmm. on TV and stuff, and you look at Ozzy's closet, and it was just just all black. Yeah. It was the same exact outfit like 75 times and I'm imagining that's what your closet is like. <laughs> the one time when when this really like came to me or I realized that this was going on, I was on a trip to California and I was in this cool store called Super Dry and I was looking at all the stuff and I picked out like the outfit that I picked out that I was going to buy, I was literally wearing it. <gasps> no, it was like green bomber jacket, tiger t-shirt, and I picked out a green bomber jacket with a big tiger on the back of it. Oh my it, god. And You're like, like, this is sick. This would look great. I wonder where I get these yeah, ideas. <laughs> yeah. And then I like a mirror and I'm like, oh, I'm actually wearing that right now. And oh like, god. I'd be the flyest son of a bitch. Oh, it already am. <laughs> yeah, dude. Beat myself to the chase. Uh, oh my god. That's funny when that happens so yeah no. and uh so do you think that you like start with a character first oh yeah oh and yeah 100%. are they people that you know no no i used to do that when i was in high school and i was like writing like contemporary like stuff i was writing like a lot of young adult stuff um which never any of it never never finished it um uh there it's never people that i know um, it is people that might resemble kind of archetypes that I've experienced mm -hmm. throughout my life. Like I would say that each of the priests again kind of represent um, like different kinds of people I've interacted with in my in my life uh, as a like a Christian in the church. Um, Quincy, I would say, is if anything based off of me, just kind of again because of my experiences. Also, um, she is slightly artistic. She clearly has ADHD. Someone <laughs> called her a smart, sensitive woman with ADHD in her She's in a review. Brat. And I'm like, where is she smart? Point point to it on the page. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Like I'd say that she's she's very much based off of me. Marlo has a lot of elements that I, I've experienced, like and then um you know, some of the more minor characters, I guess, are based off of people I know. Um, some of the characters that you meet in Act 3 that are, like, kind of jovial, like, people are based off of my cousins in Puerto Rico. A lot of them share names um, mm -hmm. with my cousins. So, um, yeah, but most of the main characters are based off of, like, more, like, archetypes. I think that Quincy's smart in the aspect that she is simple, and I think that spirituality when it's right and when like things work well generally in the world they are simple mm -hmm. and she has these big revolutions that from seeing something simple or something small or a detail or whatever she has these remarkably good way of like making them simple and mm -hmm. making them understandable and mm -hmm. making them practical instead of these big lofty ideas yeah. that, are, like, <laughs> that other people try to profess and like pass off as like highbrow spirituality or highbrow whatever you know thinking mm -hmm. and really it's just something that's super simple and super plain and practical and easy to use and yeah easy to understand she seems to where she might be lacking in like the book smarts where like marlo has them she's definitely intuitive yes so and so this was a quick back to the character thing yeah. real quick because this is interesting to me um how you pick the names how do you come up with the names? Yeah. Um, so Quincy's name was before anything else in the book existed, um, which is why it's kind of out of line with a lot of the others. I actually didn't... 
this is interesting to go back to stream of consciousness. I didn't know that she she was um, biracial until the conversation that she has with the exarch, where the exarch remarks on her um, like given name, her birth name being in a different language, and mm-hmm. I was like. Like, that was a moment to me where I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, she's biracial. I have to, like, fix all of my drawings because she was not in the original art that I did of her. Um, but other than that, so Quincy's name was that on its own. But I usually, for each country, I know a general, like, comparison that I can make to the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so specifically, um, the southern country of Anjan is based off of Korea in, in, vaguely. Um, they use chopsticks. They do use chopsticks, yeah. <laughs> they use chopsticks. Um, and then Lucian is based off of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, which is where uh, a lot of my family is from, and I've spent a lot of time there, and I really love like those that like culture. Um, but um, the reason that all of the names are like French or Hispanic um, is because they, and they speak Portuguese, uh, is because I tried to figure out how to write down Caribbean Creole and you, it's very hard to do. Um, so I was like, I'm just gonna have them speak Portuguese and hopefully that'll work. Um, some of the names I chose because they have specific meaning that matches the character's personality. A lot of the time it's 100% just because I think it feels right. Yeah. I was just about to ask that, you know, when I write, like, uh, when I try developing characters, like, sometimes I'll just, you know, it's an extension of yourself when you write, even if it's total fiction, I believe, you know, it's your art, you create it from nothing, and, uh, and sometimes I'll just be, like, writing out a character that's just totally made the fuck up in my head, and I'm like, this is a disingenuous name, like, I made it up, but you know what I'm saying, <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. this is not a frank thing to do, you know, like. Right. Exactly, no, 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely feel that. Like, um, I think most of the time, the the only character, Marlowe was a character that I had a dream where I was like in a in a like there was an arson investigation going on and they had this eccentric detective that was there and he was questioning everyone and he got to me and I made fun of him and so he said we're skipping you we'll come back and then he just huh? kept going <laughs> um, and I was I in the character this, the dream the character was named Martin but I had a, char- a person that I knew that was writing a book and his main character's name was Martin and I was like I need this character to be in my book I love him too much but I can't name him Martin, so I just changed the end of the name, and that's why he's named Marlo. Um, but yeah, um, most of the time it's just the feels, the vibes have got to be right. And you draw all your characters. Mm-hmm. Most of them. Some of them have never gotten a drawing because I just don't want to. That makes sense. I guess so. Does, does do you feel like that helps your creative process in identifying with the character and like? giving them a little bit of a personality and a flair through art before you put pen to paper or keys to fingers to keyboard? I think that it's really interesting um, because I've often thought about, like, there are characters who I draw that I've never written. There are characters who I write who I'll never draw. Um, It's... It really... I feel like they're, like, tantamount to each other. Like, they're both very important but neither of them are necessary for the other to work for me. I draw, I've thought about this before, I don't think I'll ever stop. If I were If I were to like stop, I'm, it's compulsory. <laughs> like yeah. I've got to do it. I, there is no part of me that is doing it for any purpose other than I have to. Um, so, you know, it's it all comes and goes in ways where it's like sometimes, it, usually it'll be because I'm like, 
really feeling a character. Like, it, again, it comes and goes in waves. So sometimes I will not draw Quincy for months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will not just be in her mood, I guess. And then one day I'll be like, oh, my God, I miss Quincy, and I'll listen to her playlist, and I'll just have all these <laughs> scenarios for her and all of these things, that relationships I want her to be in and, like, scenarios that I'll never write that I wish that she would be in, um, and then I'll just draw a lot of her, and then it'll be a different character next month. Do you think it could ever be, like, uh, some kind of side story, adjacent story from, from, like, the main plot that you're going along here, you know, down the line a couple years? There's just a random Quincy story that just doesn't have anything to do with the main Maybe plot, like a but short it's her. Little novella yeah, or I'm, I'm like thinking that. like like how Star Wars, you know, has so many offshoots mm-hmm. in different directions. Yes. So actually, um the sequel that I'm writing is a completely different main character, completely unrelated to this book, in a different continent that we didn't visit in this book, but in the same world during the same time period. I also and th- this is more to answer your question or talk about what you were talking about, I guess. Um, my biggest thing that I've already started just completely by accident because it kept happening and then I was like, oh, maybe people will want to read these, is I will have characters that never come, that I'm like, oh, it would be cool if there was this character in this world. I'll write like a 2,000 word short story and I won't have anything to do with it. And this has happened several times. It's happened with Quincy a couple times. It's happened with characters that aren't in this book. Um, So my plan is once the trilogy is finished and out into the world, I'm going to compile and just make sure that they're, like, canon compliant, like Mm -hmm. everything makes sense. I'm going to compile those into, like, an anthology series or, like, one big anthology of short stories and put that out as well. Does this world have a name? Yeah, this world is called Beira, which means edge in Portuguese, um, because all of the countries are coastal, and, <laughs> and nice. so yeah, that's, I don't know if there is a greater name for, like, the planet that it exists on, right. but as far as the conglomeration of all of the, like, countries that I have created. So it would be like a, a Beira short stories yes. compilation. Yeah. Yes, it would. Cool. So. So this this is kind of like off the subject of the book a little bit, but so you got a trilogy going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What what's the uh, what's the mountaintop of trilogies? Like when you think of trilogy, what what is the best that, that there could be anything like, and if it's in books or movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is this. I think this also kind of shows like why I'm doing such a disjointed kind of trilogy here, where we're following completely different characters. Um, the director, Mike Flanagan, made three Netflix TV shows, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass. And those three TV shows together are the best group of things I've ever watched. All of them are masterpieces. All of them address grief and religion, and they do haunting and ghost and gothic stories in different ways. And all three of them together have very different strengths and I think make a really cohesive, like group of stories that I think if you like one, you'll like all three of them, mm-hmm. you know? And that's kind of like what I would say I, I would call the best trilogy ever for me. Nice. <laughs> cool. What about you? Oh, man. Best trilogy? Mm-hmm. I would probably, off the top of my head right now, the, I would it, if I could think about this more, it might be a little bit different. But off the top of my head right now, I'm seeing episode one, two, and three. And episode one kind of sucks. Of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. So wait, are we talking like like episodes one, two, and three, the prequels? Yes. Okay. 
because that was when I was growing up. That was what I loved Star Wars. Like, I love the Clone Wars. I love Anakin in general. He kind of sucks in the first one, but I love Clone Wars Anakin, and I love um, Return of the Sith Anakin. I think that's what it's called. Revenge of the Sith Revenge Anakin? of the yeah. Sith Anakin. Um, he's one of my favorite characters, and I've always had, like, a huge soft spot for, like, the anti-hero. That's valid. And the people that are, like, corrupted through power and control and all of these outside forces because at heart he's like a genuine kind nice person he wants to save the person that he loves like he's motivated to save Padme more than anything in the world and to go and it brings him to like extreme lengths to Mm -hmm. try and do Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. and I understand that and I appreciate that because I feel like that's a that's an easy thing to get behind at least for me I can understand that as a person like really reaching for a goal and maybe going down the wrong route to attain that goal. Yeah, as a romantic, uh, I really love the, like, idea of a character who will become kind of this, like, monster to, to this incredibly powerful, unstoppable person to protect and save the one that they love. Um, I have a lot of problems with prequels. Uh, personally, but yeah. I do like that kind of story and that arc a lot. And all of my problems are purely personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, if I gotta pick one, it's it, it, it's the Back to the Future trilogy. Ooh, no, that's an interesting. It's choice. not even close. It's not even close for me. And I mean, there's plenty of other great trilogies out there, but I love the whole concept of like one instance in your in your past how much it can drastically change everything in your present mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and the comedy is great too i mean yeah you know i love michael j fox and you know christopher lloyd and not so much biff i don't remember who plays biff he's kind of a dick but <laughs> but i uh, but but just yeah. like you know like if you hit the bully you know, and then you and instead then, of walking away, instead of walking away or cowering, like thirty years later, like you own a multi-million dollar business, <laughs> and he's your 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 mechanic instead of him just still bullying you thirty years later in the same small hometown, or like a little more out, outrageous, but you know you get you get a a sports almanac with all of the results for the next fifty years. You go from being that mechanic to being, you know, the richest person on the face of the planet. And mm-hmm. it's re- I, I don't know. Just the whole dynamic of it is fascinating to me. It plus, is, yeah. plus, I like the lols in it too. Like, I like laughing when I watch movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. What what o- other authors inspire you? Yeah, uh, my biggest inspiration is an author uh, named Brandon Sanderson. Um, he does a lot of fantasy stuff, a lot of long form fantasy stuff like this. Um, specifically, I think my favorite from him is called Warbreaker. It's one of his few standalones. Um, but he's better at magic than I am. He does some really cool magic systems, like Avatar: The Last Airbender, or yeah, Last Airbender, like levels of like intricate makes sense magic systems and I just cannot I cannot wrap my head around that um and then who else would I say I was getting a lot of Neil Gaiman vibes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's one of my favorite I love American Gods that's probably one of my top five books of all time and uh, me and Dave are in a book club, and we just read this book called Library at Mount Char, and I got a lot of the same vibes from that book as I do from this. I can't remember who writes it right now, but it was also one of my top five favorite books. I love these like spiritual, like, what is God, how is God created type 
books. So Neil Gaiman, there. This is gonna sound really like weird um, and a little like maybe crazy, but there are certain people like that. I've never met, that I've never spoken to, that we grew up in completely different times, and I feel like there's just some understanding of the world. Something has caused us to understand the world in a really similar way. And Neil Gaiman, specifically Sandman, and then um, the movie Stardust is based off of um, I one think of something books, one yeah, of his books it. as well. I haven't read the book. I've read the first volume of Sandman. I've watched the series. and um, I loved the series. I read the book, too, a long mm-hmm. time ago, though, when I was... Uh, I barely remember it because it was so long ago. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the book, and I love the TV series. It was so good. It was such a good adaptation. But between that and, like, Stardust and Good Omens, I'm seeing a repetition of this kind of, like, relationship between this otherworldly um, being that is beyond time and beyond human perception and then humans and this kind of, like this love and this kind of curiosity between the two parties as they get to know each other that um, I see repeated in Gaiman's work a lot. And obviously, um, like, it's in this book, and it will be repeated in the next two books as well, because I just love it so much. Um, And I didn't, I hadn't read Sandman or Good Omens um, or seen Stardust when I wrote this book. So then I'm watching these things and I'm like, it's not enough that I'm like, oh no, I've ripped Neil Gaiman off, but it is enough that I'm like, wow, something about us, we view humanity very similarly. And I think that's really interesting. Right. And I think that's a really interesting thing about humanity is that like sense of connection and that sense of like, almost divine connection where you do see things like on the same level and reach the same kind of revelationary moments you know what mm-hmm. i mean like there are a lot of times throughout my life where i've come to an understanding of something and then later read it in like a book or from some other person or a philosopher or a religious leader or whatever is saying the same things that um i've kind of realized on an on my own personal mm-hmm. level and i think that the more that we're able to connect with those types of moments, the more we'll be able to connect with each other and gain, like, a better understanding. Yeah, it's kind of like the positive side of, like, the there is no such thing as an original thought. And a lot of people take that really discouragingly, but honestly, I think that's just, like, a we're all human and we all share experiences. Um, so, of course, we're all going to have similar ways of looking at the world in one way or another. We all, yeah. we all pull from the same well of uh, the collective consciousness. Right. You and know. I always tell people that I'm just a parrot whenever they're like, oh, I liked what you had to say or like that was interesting or whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm just a parrot. I'm just saying what I've read somewhere or heard somewhere before. So uh, don't give any credit to me. It's just that tapping into that well. And uh, you're the second author that we've had on and the second author that um, mentioned some sort of intervention on a spiritual level or a divine information intervention or some sort of inspiration that comes to them from somewhere that they don't understand. Mm Mm-hmm. And being able to tap into that that uh, that inspiration, I feel like, is a very much a talent and very much a skill that people can learn to uh, you know harness and use for for positive things. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, it it it's interesting to see how people get into those portals and reach those revelations on a completely different level mm-hmm. and all come to the same kind of conclusion. It's a the complex. The simplest way of trying to 
break down the complexities of the human experience. Yeah, that's why fantasy and fiction are, like, so important to me. Like, my my dad's been very kind of, no offense to him, but he's not super a fiction or fantasy person. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has always kind of, like, whenever my brother and I would, like, have these really intense conversations about the themes of, like, these comics we were reading and, like, how these characters treated each other and how that made us feel, my dad would be like, you are you are spending way too much brain space on this. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, don't you have like school that you could be occupying that like part of your brain with? And we'd be like, you don't understand. <laughs> do you think it's do you think it's easier for you to write in the realm of like fantasy, science fictiony type stuff than something that might still be fiction but like based more in reality, like the real world we currently live in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I personally I find that like using like fictional like fantasy gods um as like kind of first of all as metaphors for like um the 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 real world religions in this case one of the reasons that i really wanted to do this story in fantasy because this story like not not beat for beat but like a similar story could be told set in modern america Mm -hmm. or set in this book is all kind of based off like 1600s adjacent like stuff um, but the immediate problem with that is one of my beta readers for this book, one of the first people I was sending chapters as I was writing, came back to me on like chapter four and was like, this is bad theology. She was a Christian. She's like, this is bad theology. And I'm like, it's, a, it's a fantasy religion. <laughs> I'm sorry. She was mad at me for saying that you can be part of a religion and then stop being part of that religion because in evangelical Christianity that is not something you can do. Once you are baptized, technically you can never stop being a Christian and if you decide to stop being a Christian that means you were never really one, you were just faking it the whole time, Um, which is a really harmful kind of message to give people like me who were like so involved in the church and like, like bathing yourself in it. It was your whole life and then one day you like you crack under the pressure of like all these expectations of you and you're like, you know what, I've given it a lot of really hard thought. I don't think I I identify with this religion anymore. And then everyone in that religion who watched you beat yourself up for decades is like, oh so it was all fake. Mm. <laughs> it's like you know firsthand that it wasn't. So with her I just stopped sending her chapters. Because I was like, you are thinking too hard. See, I'm kind of op- the opposite. I'm I'm like more of a, a spiritual adventurer and looking for that spiritual high. And like I've talked about, I've, I'm sure I was baptized as a child because my parents are both Christian. But I thought about like rebap. I don't really go to church right now. Um, but I thought about just going to get baptized just for like the 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 spiritual the experience. experience of like committing myself to some sort of religion. I also mm-hmm. my friend invited me to come take like the 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 Muslim version of the mm-hmm. baptism, mm-hmm. and I was like, sure, I'll come do it. Like, but also, I, my my personal thing is like, am I being disrespectful just by chasing this spiritual mm-hmm. experience and not really committing to? the aftermath of it and like it's really easy for me to commit to a lot of like the basic christian principles or like any religion's principles because they're all generally good and they're all generally about you know loving yourself and loving your neighbor and treating people the way that you want to be treated you know following the golden rule but am i 
am I being disrespectful by taking this so lightheartedly and just like looking for something that's an enjoyable and pleasant experience for me rather than um, giving it the weight or the uh, the thought that a lot of other people do because it's a very serious commitment to a lot of people and not that I wouldn't take it seriously but do I is it something that I really identify enough to make that commitment or am I making light of it mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's Everybody sees things differently, and I think being able to sit down and have a conversation is what really matters because, you know, I had an experience with me and you actually years ago. We went to a, uh, a Buddhist, a Buddhist uh, te a temple, temple is yeah. it? temple, Buddhist temple out in Cleveland. And, you know, yeah, I was like adventuring, you know, I was like, hey, this isn't my thing. And then a few years later, kind of like a counterpoint to your story for how I feel about things. I was with another friend and we we're in Woodstock, New York. And uh, it was like this great, like. Uh, collection at this Buddhist temple up in the mountains of like uh, Dalai Lama's whatever and uh, they had you know they, they like a gift shop and stuff whatever but they had the temple and mm -hmm. my buddy was a Buddhist but he had some like anxiety and he was like come in the temple and pray with me I said no He's like, I'm real nervous. I said, you're a Buddhist, right? He said, yeah. I said, well, go in and do it. He's like, well, why won't you do it with me? And I said, because I don't believe it. Like, I'm not going to, in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to disrespect these mm -hmm. people because I'm not just going to do it just to, like, go in a temple and bow down. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, but to be able to sit down and have the conversations without ripping each other's head off about mm -hmm. it, even though we see it differently, I think is, is the only way we really can hit that point of uh, spirituality that where we can really help each other. Mm -hmm. you know and have yeah. that mutual respect for each other and their religions and the things that we're practicing rather than trying to say uh you know my god is the right god or uh my way of doing things is the right way and having that level of acceptance and compassion right. for one another I, I think there's a level of respect you need to have for like this is my personal like to get back to that this is my personal view on it is I have my way of doing things. Everyone has their own way of doing things specifically because um, everyone is, works at their own pace too. Like I started writing this in 2017. I still identified as a Christian at the time. I still was going to a Bible college. I still largely recognized all of the like things that I had been taught. Um, so this has been an experience as I, as I addressed my like sexuality, as I addressed my gender, as I addressed like things about me that were not congruent with what I'd been told to be growing up, I slowly started moving further and further away, but it's been five years, and that's been a long time. And I've had people in my life who have deconstructed maybe a little faster, um, who have come to a very different conclusion than me, and I totally, like, they, they have their way of doing things, I have my way of doing things. We all have our own personal, like, paces, whether it be being extremely spiritual across several different like recognized religions or being not spiritual at all and just accepting that maybe you don't know anything and maybe that's okay mm -hmm. like as far as i think i think basically what we've all come to come to in different ways of saying it is like you know you do you do you right <laughs> as long as you are respect and having those conversations because that's what's really important to me is like knowing where the person I am with is at because otherwise it's like well yeah do I know you at all yeah <laughs> and I think that's why works like this books like this are so important where you can take a very rigid 
um, not rigid, maybe not rigid's not the right word, but a very like uh, structured, structured, not structured either. A very, uh, it's um, like a hot button issue type mm-hmm, thing. Right. Like, how many times do you hear people say like, we can talk about anything but religion and politics, and like you get something like this where it's a it's a fantasy and obviously it, it incorporates thing that things that happen in this world but since it doesn't have that label of one specific thing that exists as we do you can sit around and, and talk about it from different angles yeah. and i think having those like soft approaches through art into it's so important it's it's so important into the difficult things like i think that's the most important thing about the humanities is being able to like soften the blow of getting into the very rigid there's there's where i want to use yeah. the very rigid like difficult things like philosophy and political mm-hmm. structure and where do we go when we die type stuff right and it's it's like a beautiful way to get into it yeah, and it also, this is something I was saying, I've said a lot, so I, you guys know this, I have my book up for sale at the coffee shop that I work at, and so people... Go who, get her book at Ember and Forge. Get it at Ember and Forge, it's there. Get it. Um, but, uh, and it's cheaper there than it is on Amazon. On Amazon, it's uh, $12.99, and then I sell it for 10 uh, because I don't have to pay royalties to Amazon. Um, but... Uh, having it on display like that, this book is really personal. Um, and so, like, even just having it where people can look at the cover, much less read the whole thing and then come back and find me and talk to me about it. Um, people can look at the cover, they can look at the back, they can turn and look at me, and then they can look back again, and they're making all these judgments. Right, um, you got a little sign up there. It's like a little game. Mm-hmm. Like, talk to the author. Talk she has red hair. Right There's there. a little picture of you. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that has led people to make judgments about the book that they might not have made if they couldn't see me or make judgments about me that they might not have been able to make if they couldn't see the book. I've had people um, ask me, several people have asked me if the book is Satan, Satanic. Um, nice. And I'm always like, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, someone he said, is the god of death. He, he, someone, told, I t- someone told me I should have answered. I should answer with, I've sent him my copy but, it, to like get his official endorsement, but he hasn't replied to my <laughs> email yet. Um, but uh, someone asked me, this, this Scottish lady came up to me I, as I was like making her cappuccino or whatever, and she's like, I saw your book over there. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you find yourself to be a believer? And I'm like, that is the most roundabout way anyone's ever asked me if I still was a Christian or not yet. And I'm like, like I, I literally was like, like a Christian. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, kind of. Um, the, the book's about that and my relationship with the church. So, you know, um, seven-year-old Scottish woman, maybe you shouldn't read it. But, you know, um, it's such a vulnerability to, to, like, have myself out there like that. Because on one hand, you can read it and you can accept it as, like, this story about these characters. Like, you, like the way that people kind of view maybe, like, superhero media um, in a way that's, like, a lot of people just kind of latch onto the character for their power and personality. And you're like, oh, I love this little character. He's just like me for real, for real. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then on the other hand, there's a possibility, like with you guys, that someone will read it and they will see the themes and I will have to, not like have to, but get to like address the things that I have put down in the only way that I knew how through this this book and then like kind of like re readdress them again after it's like I break them apart jumble them put them into the book and then reassemble them on the other side with other people afterwards so it's really interesting have you had a lot of people come and ask you about the book 
being right there? Uh, yeah. So I've had some people come back and tell me they were reading it or were done with it. I have one regular who comes in and he calls it my tome. And <laughs> <laughs> he'll come in and he'll be like, I'm about 50% of the way through your tome. And I'm like, yeah, what do you think of it? He's like, I'm not telling you till I'm done. Last time I heard he was 80% done. So nice. hopefully I'll get there. feedback on that soon. But, um, yeah. And then I'll have people, this is my least favorite. I'll have people go to the about the author section while I'm working. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see them doing this. They'll go to the about the author section. They will turn to me without having said a word to me thus far. And they will say, so why'd you move out of Seattle? I'm like, (laughs) do I know you? It's terrifying. I'm like, who are you? And then I'm like, oh, it's right there. And well, I feel like maybe, well, maybe that would happen everywhere. But when you fly in from our airport and the big sign says it's okay to love Erie, you know, I feel like Erieites are like, why did you come here? (laughs) (laughs) Of all the places you were in Seattle and you came here, why? (laughs) Or you see somebody here that's very successful and just like, why are you still in Erie? You'd be living anywhere you wanted and being successful and awesome. Did yeah. you, do you ever, because I know I've been there a few times, I, I, I go to the shop every once in a while, and I see there's, like, the loaner copy there. Mm-hmm. Do you ever, like, find yourself when you're working, like, you know, like looking at someone with the loaner copy and like trying to like read their face or something. Yeah, no, yeah. I always like I, it's so stressful. I wish I hadn't done this because um, <laughs> uh, I think it's really good. People have come back. It's it's done its purpose, which is that people will read it and then they'll come in. But my least favorite is someone will take it. They will sit down. They'll be reading it for hours. Like they will be in it, and I will like go over and I'll look, and I'm like trying not to look too much, and then they don't buy it, and I'm mm-hmm. like. Oh, rejection. <laughs> My heart's like, maybe they'll come back and keep reading it later because they know it's here. Like, I don't want anyone to spend any money on this book if they don't want to. Um, if they just want to experience the story, that is way more than enough. That's super flattering to me. But <laughs> but it's always like, oh, did you hate it? <laughs> <laughs> it was that bad, huh? You read yeah. for two hours. And and you just put it back. <laughs> oh, you have to like, stop yourself. You're like making a French press and you're just like, yo. I'm like, and he's walking out the door. They're walking out the yeah, door. Like, like, yeah, what do you think of it? What are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> I'll give you a copy. Yeah, um, they didn't like my book. What the heck? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's really it's it's really putting myself out there. Someone someone said that to me once. They they didn't pick up the book or read it or anything. They they were just like looked at the display and looked at me. They're like, you wrote this? I'm like, yeah. They're like, way to put yourself out there. I'm like, geez. Yeah. Yeah. It's very brave. I mean, a lot of people have books or ideas and stuff that they never discuss or talk about or put like much you know enough effort in it to like publish or do anything like really crazy well not that what you're doing is really crazy but you know it's definitely like an advanced step you know yeah well it's i so this is moot and not really that relevant but i have a degree in marketing that's what i went to the bible college for um uh is i i got a degree in marketing while i was there Um, And so I feel like a lot of things that are scary to first-time authors, like putting yourself out there in a coffee shop um, or, like, tweeting about it incessantly, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that stuff is, like, not second nature to writers because writers and artists are a lot of the time by nature, like, kind of hermits. But luckily, since I have the degree, I feel like it's a lot more natural to me to be like, oh, no, like, you should read my book or whatever. I still get so, you know, my coworkers harass me because I still clam up when someone's like, I'm going to buy it. I'll be like, yay, thank you. And they'll, like, my coworkers will, like, slide up next to me and be like, do you want her to sign it? Because Mm -hmm. I hate saying that. I'm like, (laughs) I 
feel like so narcissistic doing We were that. both hoping yeah. you would sign our that's book, why actually, we, while, we're, while you're here. Yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I, yes, I totally will. Awesome. I just don't, like, yeah, I hate volunteering that. I hate being like, I'll sign it for you, because it's like, do you want me, the, the, your barista, to write in this book? <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> I also feel like, um, at least with me in this podcast, like, it kind of just falls out into, like, a lot of my conversations with my friends and family and, like, people in general just kind of I just kind of word bomb it like oh I have a podcast like Mm -hmm. this guest or this or that or whatever Mm -hmm. just happened recently and uh but I'm sure it would be kind of a lot more intimidating doing that with like people that I don't really know you know yeah there's the fun part of like the the thing is because it's about religion and because it's about my relationship with religion and because I'm still friends with a lot of people who are in those circles or have been in those circles when that co- topic comes up and we'll be talking about like our relationship with the church and I'll say something and it'll c- occur to me that I worded it much better in my 150,000 word book I will right. it's a common thing for me to like mid conversation about serious topics be like oh well I wrote a book about that yeah <laughs> um, but yeah <laughs> that's it is tough to like try and breach again a 150,000 word book to people and be like yes you should read this extremely long book why because I wrote it right and it gets annoying after a while too it's like why aren't people just listening to my fucking podcast? You know what I mean? This no. is this is my heart and soul pouring yeah. into this. Why isn't there a million people listening every week when I when we go live and all of this stuff and spamming all the social medias and stuff? Like I just feel like people are probably just I, annoyed by this point. You I, know, when I was in uh, me and Tony were at Baron at the same time together and uh, shout as she you know self-deprecating here hopefully you're listening and probably not but uh our managing our uh chief editor julia was her name on the paper and i wrote this great article um in our april fool's edition about oh, the, then silver not the, the white white breasted nut hatch yeah. replacing the nittany lion as like the the mascot for penn state <laughs> and i bring up the story because like it made the front page because people mm-hmm. you know like the editor was just she was just like this is ridiculous like <laughs> of course this is getting the that front was page. my idea too yeah and then you know he he had the idea for the bird and then like i put all you know did uh-huh. the, the lead work put all the writing into it and then we had like our weekly like staff meetings with all the editors and some of the writers would show up and she like flips open the you know it holds up the paper and she's just laughing she's like white breasted nut hat she's like you know wh- how did you ever why why and i was just like well if you read the fucking article <laughs> if you read the article you'd know julia and everyone just start laughing she's like fair point you know and i'm like well, just Reading. Oh my god. <laughs> the white breasted duff- nut hatch was almost the official Penn State bird before they went with Nittany Lion. That's so And I don't funny. know how I stumbled across that fact, but I, I told Dave and then he wrote the article That's about hilarious. it. That's hilarious that it had a basis and everything. That's oh, so yeah. good. Yeah, no, one time I was in, the, this is, yeah, one time I was in a Discord server that had, like, a bunch of We have of a Discord? Ooh, I'll have to join it. Yeah, nobody I, uses it Discord other than me. <laughs> and our one, our biggest fan ever. Yeah. He's on, he's on our Discord. He's but, on our Discord. Yeah, join it. That'd be so cool. Yeah. 
Um, There's pictures of your book all over it. Oh my god. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, but yeah, one time I was in a Discord server that was specifically for a YouTube channel, um, and the YouTube channel talks about like tropes and stuff, so a lot of the people that are in it are writers, and there's a bunch of channels to like talk about your books and stuff. And so I was pretty new, and I was like, I put the synopsis in the like Advertise Yourself channel after I had felt like I had you know, been involved enough to warrant that. Mm-hmm. And I, ma- I, it's literally basically the back of the book. It's like, okay, so there's a criminal and the death god makes her his prophet. Um, and someone is like, why would a god of death do that? Like, what would his motivation possibly be? And I'm like, hey, I have news for you. <laughs> um, you can read. The, it's out. I posted the link. thousand words about it's, it. It's literally... Four dollars on Kindle. Like literally, you can read mm-hmm. it. Do you want me to write it out in Discord when you could just go buy the book if you're so curious? Because to me, that sounds like interest. Right. Just go read it. Right. So that, that weeds out the people that are feigning interest and the people that are also in, are you know actually interested. Mm-hmm. All the people like. You know, it's not a ton, but come, people come up to me now and be like, oh, that's on Facebook. You know, you posted a link for a podcast. Yeah, what's it about? We'll click on it. <laughs> click on it and find yeah, out. Find <laughs> out. Listen to that shit. <laughs> yeah, no, the the good news is by having the sign that I've made at, at Ember and Forge, um, and, and that, like, yeah, having the sign up and just, it says what the book is. It's fantasy. It's about a death god. Who wrote it? Me. How much is it? $10. That's like the one thing that, especially for like smaller artists and authors, like the big things are to put up. And you guys do this, so it's like, why is everyone confused? It's like, what is it? Um, if it costs money, how much money does it cost? And where can you find it? That is the big things you need to be posting every mm-hmm. time you post. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of authors don't do that, but when you do that, it works because it answers any question anyone could possibly have that isn't going to be in the book. And that's ended up being the questions that people end up having to ask me about the book when they're standing there looking at it is, did you write this? Yes. And um, how long did it take you? Those are like the the most asked question is how long did it take you? Uh, and the answer is three years, but uh, two of those were emailing my editor back and forth because we both had a lot going on. Yeah. Ten dollars is super cheap for such a good book too. Like oh, I, I don't think I've ever. Well, there's probably a few used books that I bought that were ten dollars or less that I've enjoyed about as much, but not no brand new books probably that were ten dollars that I've enjoyed as much as your book. So I appreciate that. The thing is, um, as a writer and as someone who's active with other writers, I know firsthand that a lot of people who are self-published. Um, are terrible and it's asking a lot of people to spend money on a debut novel from a self-published author Mm -hmm. um it does help at the bookstore or at the bookstore at the coffee shop that people can flip through it and they can kind of get an idea of my writing style and Mm -hmm. know that like it's decent um it's not going to be the um the things that i've like seen very frequently in, in other small authors who publish um so there's that, but I do still feel like, you know, I am self-taught. I am, this is my first book I've ever published and I did everything myself. So it's like, I feel like I'm asking a lot of people uh, to trust, to spend any amount of money on that. Um, and also $10 is really nice because it's a nice flat number. And sometimes people will just hand me a $10 bill and call it good. Um, yeah. which I think if I charge anything like if I were to change the price at this point, I would change it to 15 because mm-hmm. I've found that like giving people a solid, like 
it's it's the opposite of what they taught me in marketing class with the use of the 99 cents thing. It's like, no, people like it when they can just hand you an even number of money and then walk right. away. Yeah. Instead of trying to scrounge out, like, if you an extra $2, like 12 mm-hmm. instead of like 15 or 10. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants $1 bills back anyway. And yeah. No. Nobody wants pennies back either. Nobody wants pennies back. Oh my God. I don't want pennies. That's no, for sure. Not really. They'll go into my jar and I'll use mm-hmm. them someday. Maybe. Yeah. I'll put them in the, I'll, I'll put them in the jar and then I'll dump them into the change machine at Wegmans and then we'll call it good. <laughs> See, I'm going to save a couple of them because they're going to end up just being obsolete eventually. That's and true. And then they'll be collector's items. That's the, fingers I crossed. <laughs> fingers yeah, crossed right? for on both the like collector's issue thing and also on the never having to use pennies again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been super fun. Yeah, it's been really, really fun. Thank You've you guys so much. You've been a great guest, and we've appreciated this conversation. And once you get the tril- or the the second book comes out, obviously you're gonna have to come back on and yeah. talk to us about it. Yeah, it's gonna be very different. So I'm interested. I'll be interested to hear you guys' thoughts once that's out next year at some point. Yeah. And we'll be excited to read it. We certainly will. And uh, you can find her book on Amazon or Mm -hmm. stop down at Ember and Forge, pick it up for $10. It's a great price, and it's definitely enjoyable and fun. Um, Yeah, put that up in the camera. Get it. We're going to get some signed books here and have a super fun time. We love you all. Check us out on Discord or on Facebook. That's what it looks like. Everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, bring it right up there, Dave. Good work. Way to be a fucking (laughs) man on the job. Uh, We love you guys. Have a great night. Bye. Bye.